Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here today by Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, plenty of news to report. Uh, it's been a busy week. Uh, let's start with the most obvious, Florida after really two full months through July and August of handling the coronavirus extremely well with basically zero cases on the football team, uh, all of a sudden we've got a little bit of a flare up, you know, last week Florida had its first positive case. And I believe we talked a little bit about it on the show. You know, it was going to be really important to see how Florida handled it. Um, I think we come away from it having yesterday's update with now seven positive cases on the football team. Uh, To me, that's kind of in the middle range of what you were hoping for. You know, it's not a complete shutdown, but it's not a complete outbreak. You know, the way we've seen some of these teams like, you know, Tennessee and Ole Miss have to deal with some of this. Uh, But Blake, I mean, obviously, this is a big concern for Florida at this point. Yeah, and I think it's more so just because when you look at the point of, you know, just the SDC kind of shooting for that, uh, that September 26th day, you've just given yourself a couple weeks from just I guess where everyone else has started, I guess not to say that, you know, SEC didn't start too late. I think that they, and if anything, kind of have, have had a chance to see how the landscape of college football has gone. But I think we're now where you're just at with Florida of just, you know, how much is this going to spread continuously as you continue to do updates because you've gone from one to seven. So obviously there's been a, a little bit of a, you know, kind of a trickle effect to some of these other guys, um, you know, just all the other guys exposed. So I think at this point, you just have to see where this number goes. I think I'm with you, you know, seven, isn't something maybe to hit the panic button over, but it's, you know, it's obviously alarming to jump from one to seven. And I think going forward, as you continue to go to game week, um, you, you ask the questions of, you know, is it putting any kind of limitations on how Florida prepares for Ole Miss where that kind of looming and, you know, kind of finishing things up. So, I mean, there's some questions there, but I think at this point you just have to see where things go, you know, kind of responding from, you know, where they go from seven. Right. And that's, that's kind of the trickiest thing with this whole pandemic is it's, there's really no clear answers. And I know that, you know, some of that is due to, uh, you know, probably Florida wanting to keep some of this stuff under the, you know, under wraps a little bit, you know, obviously Florida has been very guarded with really any kind of information coming out of fall camp on the flip side, Florida has probably been more transparent with actually releasing COVID numbers than most of the other schools in the SEC. So, you know, we have this weird kind of dichotomy where we do know some stuff, uh, but we, we don't know how many players are quarantined. They're not releasing that information. Uh, you know, so it, if, if it's a case where, you know, these six guys are all in different position groups, you may have, you know, 40-something players out, you know, due to quarantine. We just don't know right now. Um, and I think the other thing is uh, – the other thing we don't know is is how quickly, I think, um, you know, the or, or I guess how long, you know, sort of that – immunity lasts once you have had it um you know that's kind of one of the big discussions going on right now in college football is is it better for your team to have had a bunch of cases you know already you know to this point where you're already through them and past them you know lsu's ed orgeron said the other day that you know he thought most of his team had already had it and you know that hopefully they just don't get it again and so that it won't affect them in games you know i remember uh hearing several weeks ago that all but four of their offensive linemen had been quarantined due to covid 
Um, and again, it's that, it's that, you know, the distinction between, okay, is, does quarantine mean they all had it or was it only two or three that had it that were in contact in a meeting room with some of these other guys? Um, we just don't know. There's so, there's so much that's still unknown. Um, but at this point, Blake, I mean, from a timing standpoint, Gators are less than two weeks away from playing. Right. And so now you're getting into the protocols of, okay, if there are guys quarantined, are they even going to be available to play at Ole Miss? Um, and that's something we don't know. And, and even honestly, uh, I was doing some, some background digging, you know, talking to some officials from Florida yesterday, trying to figure out, okay, like, you know, what's, what's the actual procedure and the protocol from the SEC in terms of how quickly you can return from a quarantine, you know? So if my teammate uh, and my roommate gets COVID-19, right. And test positive for COVID-19 and I've had contact with him. Okay. Now I have to quarantine, but we know these schools are testing multiple times, right? They're testing multiple times. So what happens if I quarantine, uh, I take subsequent tests. I test negative two, three times, you know, a week after this exposure, can I come back earlier? Is it still the 14 days? And that's something that even Florida officials couldn't, or at least wouldn't tell me yesterday. Um, so I, I think that's kind of indicative of just how much we don't know about this situation. And, and I hate to say that because, you know, we do like to try to keep fans as informed as we can, but there's a lot we don't know. And I think there's a lot that UF is still sorting through. Um, but Blake, like, like you said, I think seven, it's not necessarily a number you panic over. You know, if it's only seven guys, uh, that are positive, then, you know, you can play a game without those seven and probably get by, you know, if those seven have come into contact with 30 other people, all of a sudden you might be in trouble. So um, it'll be interesting to monitor and, and kind of see where this goes over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, due to HIPAA, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's ways to where you can't find out who it is. And I think that in, in, in the grand scheme of things, I think as a fan, you know, from that aspect, you know, you, you have, you wonder, you know, okay, if it's seven guys, but is that, you know, for walk-ons and, you know, is this, you know, a starter, is this a backup? So those are the questions that do arise. And obviously those are the ones that, you know, you're, you're not simply just not going to get the answers from UF, but, you know, they are being very transparent with the seven, you know, I, I think you bring up a good question, you know, with just how, how much the timing backs up into that old Miss game for Florida. And, and when you kind of factor in just, you know, who could it be, you know, it, it, the questions are now is, is it going to impact Florida in their preparation? Um, I, I think at this point, you know, Mullen has been pretty vocal of, they feel that the guys on campus are, are, are safest, you know, and I think that just with how they test, you know, all the precautions they do, um, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, I mean, they're college students, man, and yeah. there's other students around there. So there's just so many unknowns to this. But I, I think at this point, I think Florida will be okay going forward. The biggest thing for me, and I just kind of circle back to it, is just will that number keep going? And I think that's the thing to watch. It's definitely the thing to watch because there's no, it's not a coincidence that Florida was COVID free, you know, through July and August when there really weren't many students around. I mean, it's, it's right. much easier for those guys to kind of stay locked in on football, um, really only interact with each other. All of a sudden, you know, now you're getting these, you know, mini spikes on campus. Well, it's obviously correlated to students coming back in that last week of August. And then. And that's what everyone has been holding their breath for so long from kind of, you know, leading up back to the you know, actual fall semester. And that's why the, you know, the, the decision-making process for not just the SEC, but you know, the big 10, obviously coming around and, and turn around. Now they're going to play football. It's like, nobody knows. It, it's almost impossible to have correctly projected what was going to happen. Um, and so like the SEC kind of projected that, okay, when students get back, there's going to be cases. Uh, now the question is, can they handle it effectively enough that they're able to start on September 26th. And, and I think we don't know, you know, and me, the concerning part is I, I think I genuinely think the Florida football team has really handled this. Well, um, I think the messaging has been very consistent that they're all working towards a national championship. 
that's their goal. And I think the guys really, really, man, I'm telling you, the culture that Dan Mullen has put into this program is terrific. I mean, these guys aren't just saying that. They're really doing it and working towards it. And I think you see that even with the, the football numbers. I mean, yes, they have seven positives. But you look at some of the other teams on campus. Um, now, granted, some of these other teams aren't about to start their seasons. But Florida lacrosse, 31 positives. Florida baseball, 15 positives. Florida soccer, three positives with a bunch of quarantines to where their their season opener is postponed. So, you know, as as much as you you know you're upset that Florida football hasn't been completely free, they have handled it, I think, pretty well. Um, again, like you said, the, the the interesting thing's gonna gonna be to see whether this is the beginning of kind of that exponential curve, or you know, it's it's really just a short hill, you know, where maybe they're at the point where they're starting to round it. Um, but I don't know that anybody has that answer. And I think it's going to make things really interesting. And the other thing, you know, that we haven't talked about is, you know, we talked to Dan Mullen before these COVID-19, this latest round of testing updates was released. Um, but, you know, he had some interesting things to say about false positives that apparently they've had some false positives. Now, Blake, I can tell you that the numbers that Florida reported in terms of positives, they, they've factored out any false positives out of that. So they're not overshooting the number. Um, but having said that, you know, these false positives make it tricky because what happens if you get a false positive on a Wednesday of game week? You know, how long does it take you to uncover that it's a false positive? Those are things I think we don't know. You know, like it, it, there's just so much unknown that um, I don't know. I mean, we kind of knew it was going to be this, but now that you're seeing it unfold in real time, to me at least, it's I, – I don't know that it's, it's a helpless feeling, but you're just kind of hanging and waiting, and it almost seems like we've gone back from – um, you know, feeling like football was right around the corner, which it is, and we're still hopeful we can play. But it almost seems like we're back into that, like, you know, late March, early April type area where we just don't know how long shutdowns are going to last, that kind of thing. Like, we don't know how long this COVID spike is going to last and, and whether or not it's going to bleed into the first couple of weeks of the season or whether or not this is just something we're talking about now and, and they'll get a handle on it. And then, you know, we'll turn around and we'll be in Oxford in a week and a half. Yeah, and I think it's kind of comparable to that same kind of timeline that you mentioned to where – you know, it's, it's not that you're, you're, I guess you're essentially, you're just kind of holding your breath. You're just holding your breath, seeing what happens. And at this point where it's so close to the season, I think that everyone at this point, it's kind of a mix of, you know, holding your breath and seeing what happens and just the excitedness of, you know, kind of that finish line is so close to there. And, you know, you feel like you've waited this long, man. I feel like, you know, the dead period, even for recruiting, which went in back in March, I feel like that was like seven years ago at this point, you know, just how long this year has gone out. So, uh, you know, at this point, football is coming back. I think where you look at the numbers where Florida has, I, I think when you look in the grand scheme of other SEC teams, I mean, look at Tennessee. They they couldn't even, I believe, at one point uh, hold a what was it a scrimmage? So they had to do some kind of other you know scripted practice. Um, you know, Ole Miss has been dealing with some things on their end too. So I think in the grand scheme of things, you know, Florida Florida's. I, I think they've done things. You know, I kind of echo what you said. They've done things the right way. Yeah, and I think that just in general with with this whole virus, I think. I mean, some of it is just human nature, man. Like, right. Like these, these football players see other teams start playing. Um, yeah. It's different. You know, you, you don't have fans in the stands. Some of these places, some of them are limited capacity, but I think human nature, man, when you're, you're a Florida football player looking at this and knowing that you've been you know, busting your butt to make sure you stay COVID free and, and really have taken pride in that. Um, and you see some of these other games going off really as far back as, you know, about two weeks ago now without a hitch, it's easy to, kind of take that foot off the gas pedal a little bit in terms of some of these precautions um, and, and, and kind of let things loose and, and not just, you know, Florida football. I mean, that's, that's going on across the country, man. Like people are kind of fatigued with COVID. I mean, it's just the reality, you know, um, I went to my brother's wedding this past weekend and 
um, you know, I, I'm probably one of the, the people that's more cautious in terms of particularly around people that may be in the vulnerable category. You know, my grandparents are in their mid fifties. So whenever they came around, I was making sure that I had a mask on, you know, right away, um, that kind of thing. But, but even over the, just the course of the three or four days we were there for my brother's wedding, it's like, you know, you, you end up seeing that there's some people that aren't doing the things that they're supposed to do. And then you kind of get tired of seeing that. And so eventually it just kind of slips. And I think, you know, with, with college students back on campus, obviously those students aren't a super, super vulnerable population themselves, right? Like they're the least likely to have serious impacts with the virus. So it's human nature for them to take things a little bit easier. And then I think, you know, when those guys get back and all of a sudden, you know, these, these guys that are on the team that have friends outside of football, you know, their, their friends are having a party or a get together. It's easy to kind of get into that mode of like, Oh, okay, we're back to normal. Like things are back, like football's playing, everything's back to normal, but we're not, you know, and, and not that, not that COVID-19 may necessarily be deadly for any of these guys, but it does have the potential to ruin the season based on the guidelines that these conferences and these schools have in place. And so, you know, it's, we're kind of in what I view as this, this, this home stretch for Florida football where, you know, as uncomfortable or as, as tiring as it may be, they really have to buckle down and kind of get into that game week mode where they're full in locked in on, okay, we've made it, you know, camp's over. We're into game week. Let's, let's huddle down, let's bunker up and let's get through the season because at the end of the day, you know, Florida football players, I heard it multiple times today on interviews with them. They're competing for a national championship. They truly believe that they have the talent and, and the skill to win a national championship. And a lot of it this year is going to come down to which teams are mentally prepared to deal with COVID-19. And some of it's going to be pure timing, you know, like the teams that got it earlier may be better off than, than say Florida dealing with it now. But a lot of it's going to be the mental discipline of can you follow these protocols to make sure that you're within the numbers that you need to be able to walk out there and play on Saturdays. Right. And I think another thing Dan Mullen said too, that, you know, the kind of the team that's going to, or the teams that are going to survive this kind of strange season that, you know, we're kind of looking at right now is just the ones that can adapt. And I think in this point, Dan Mullen has shown that he, you know, he's a very great football coach. He knows how to, you know, play call games. He knows how to build a program. So I think he's one that I think you can kind of chalk him up as, you know, one of the coaches that's going to know how to adapt. So regardless of who those seven players are, if there's more, you know, I think he's going to find a way to game plan minus, you know, there is the unknown of, you know, when something pops up, you know, you know, it could, it pop up, like you said, you know, on a Wednesday or Thursday of game week, and you've got to do these things. But, I, you know, I think Mullen is, is really good at, you know, kind of planning things out during game week. So I think it's something he'll be able to manage. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot over this offseason. I, I think Florida is in a position from, you know, just a, an overall talent level on the roster. And then I think Dan Mullen kind of raising, you know, the floor of the talent, you know, via recruiting. I think that's been the biggest factor in why I think Florida's, you know, maybe fit to compete for a championship this year. I think they have quality depth at just every, you know, just about every spot. Now it's not all proven and we'll get into this more in the second half of the show. Um, but Florida's gotten a lot of good answers over the off season. One of them we'll get to right on the other side of a quick commercial break here. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of the farmer's dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, we hinted at it right before that commercial break. Big news for Florida, obviously. Uh, we kind of came out late night over the weekend. I know it was, I was uh, a little toasty, like uh, celebrating my brother's wedding. But uh, Justin Shorter has officially been granted his NCAA waiver to play in 2020. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's a former five-star prospect out of Penn State. Really big guy, great size. He's about 6'4", 226 pounds. Um, there have been some mixed reports from from fall camp on him, Blake. Uh, we've heard kind of from from a variety of different sources uh, conflicting reports. You know, we've heard at times that he has struggled with his hands, and that was kind of the knock on him at Penn State. We've also heard, you know, from another source that he's having a little bit of trouble getting separation. But then on the other hand, you know, I, I had one source within the program tell me that, uh, you know, when we were going back and forth getting the, the shorter thing confirmed, that that's terrific news for Florida that he's been tearing it up in fall camp. Uh, and then, you know, what you're hearing publicly from Dan Mullen and, and the staff is that Justin Shorter can really help them this year and be an impact player. Um, Blake, what, what does this, this news mean for Florida? I mean, obviously, we've talked about it a good deal, you know, with having to replace four senior receivers, but just adding another guy to that mix. You know, I think it's, it's one of those guys that he brings that size and he brings some, uh, you know, he brings some twitch to him. I mean, this is the former number one wide receiver um, in the 2018 class coming out of high school. And, you know, I think where you look at just the body of work that Billy Gonzalez has done, yes, there was, you know, very talented group that was really big part of Florida's, you know, wide receiver corp last year. Um, but you look at that, I mean, he's done a really good job of developing those guys. You know, Van Jefferson was the guy that was seeing, you know, kind of uh, some spotty time sometimes at Ole Miss. Um, you look at just kind of what he did with Tyree Cleveland, who I thought had become more of a, you know, kind of a complete player than what he arrived at. You know, if you could kind of see that Gonzalez was one there. Freddie Swain, I think, has always kind of been that low-key kind of consistent guy. But I think you've got to see him maybe so to say, kind of take that next step, um, you know, kind of finishing out his career. So I think where you look at what Billy Gonzalez has done as a developer, um, you know, obviously those guys, even Josh Hammond was a guy who, you know, had made some plays and he's on a practice squad for the NFL right now. I, I think Gonzalez is one of those guys that's going to really do a good job of kind of tweaking those things. Um, you know, mixed reviews. I, I think that's where you look at a guy that, you know, he's still kind of, you know, feeling his way through this offense. You know, you didn't get a spring football, you know, uh, time with him there. Um, so he's still kind of feeling things out. You know, I, I think for a guy like that who's a transfer player, um, to him to be, you know, through fall camp, so to say, quite a bit, you know, kind of swimming, having those on and off days. Um, but I think with the size and the speed, I think Mullen's going to be able to find a way to kind of, um, you know, make it easy for him. I think that Mullen is one of those coaches that seems to make it easier for those kind of players. He doesn't give them too much on their plate. So I think as shorter continues to work into the year, obviously knowing that you can have him ready for game one, where you've got some questions at wide receiver, um, you know, obviously Trevon Grimes. I mean, there are plenty of names on Florida's roster where, you know, yeah, we think they're going to be those guys for Florida, but just having another guy, former five-star, a guy that has a lot of talent that maybe hasn't quite tapped into that potential, but I think he's got a coach that's going to get him there. And I think that it's just a, it's, it's a plus to have a guy 
that you know can play. You know, you're practicing all week. You know, you're kind of figuring things out. And you've got this guy that, you know, you're still trying to coach up for the future. But knowing that he can make that impact now, I think they're going to obviously throw him in there. He's going to get some looks. And, I, you know, Dan Mullet even said earlier this week when he was asked about it, I mean, he's a guy that he thinks he's going to make an impact for Florida. Is it a big impact where he's going to be the star player? Who knows? But I think that that certainly shows that they're going to give him the, te- the chance to show what he's made of. Yeah, I think untapped potential probably sums up kind of where I'm at. And um, you, you just don't become a five-star unless you have, you know, that elite ability from an athletic standpoint to be a superstar. Right. And he got a, a lot of credit that year of his Under Armour, you know, being around a lot of guys who were going to be D1 players in college. I mean, he was, you know, making a lot of plays. I remember covering the Under Armour practices that year. You know, he was a guy that was making a lot of plays. You know, he's got – he's had was really good in the long game. Um, I, I just think that, you know, a guy like that where – you can get the, you know, a guy like Billy Gonzalez, who I think has made his name as, you know, kind of a developer, um, at least late. You know, I think that it, it, I'm intrigued to see what happens with him just to, you know, like I said, he's got his hands on him a little bit later than what he probably would have thought, you know, beforehand. Um, so I think it's interesting to see what Gonzalez can do with him, because like you said, a guy like that with that size, I mean, that's a mismatch. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I personally would not expect a, a real breakout year from Shorter this year. Just I think Florida's got some other options, but I think sure. – I think the waiver is big for two reasons. One, because like we've talked about in the first half of the show, you don't know when guys are going to go down with COVID and when you're going to have a bunch of guys, you know, potentially out. And that's, that's, you know, not even saying anything about the normal injuries you have to deal with throughout a season. Uh, So, so it's big to have another guy, but then I also think, you know, to your point about Billy Gonzalez being a great developer of talent, being able to do it and coach it off film in a game is different than being able to do it and coach it off film in practice. I mean, it just is. Um, you can get a lot of work in in practice, but you know if he hadn't had the waiver this year, Shorter's probably on the practice squad, and so you're running. You're not necessarily running Florida's offense. You know, kind of the similar situation to Brenton Cox last year. Uh, you know, where it took him a little bit in fall camp to ramp up, simply because they were using him to simulate some of these terrific pass rushers that they were going to face from other teams. Well, he's running their defenses throughout the week in scout team work. So now Shorter's actually going to be working with UF. Uh, we, we would assume that he'll be far enough into that mix that he's not going to be a scout team guy this year. Uh, really, and, you know, it's, I guess probably nobody's going to be a scout team guy fully this year. That's, that's probably one of the more interesting questions we still need to ask Dan Mullen is, do you, do you have your scout team guys spending now, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in practice still going through your offense, your game plan in case something happens? Uh, it's something that, you know, it hadn't even really occurred to me until just now that they, you know, you may not have a traditional scout team this year. Write that one down. <laughs> But uh, but I think, for, you know, for shorter getting the waiver and being able to play this year, I think that's going to be huge for 2021 because you're going to lose Trayvon Grimes, you're going to lose Darius Tony, you're going to lose Rick Wells. You're almost certainly going to lose Kyle Pitts. So you're going to have a big, big void there. And, you know, obviously we're all expecting pretty big things, I think, from Trent Whittemore, from from Xavier Henderson, probably from Jaquavian Frazier's. Um, but, you know, you need other guys to step up and shorter being in a little bit of an older guy with his size can definitely be a guy in 2021 that you really hang your hat on. Yeah. And, you know, I think it kind of to piggyback off of what you said, you know, Florida has some guys, Jaquavian Frazier's Xavier Henderson that are younger guys, but also some of those guys that they signed in the 19 Jamarcus Weston, Trent Littlemore. I think you feel a little bit better not to, you know, kind of discredit those guys or the job they've done. But I think in, at least for this year, I think as a coach, you feel a little bit better throwing a guy like Shorter in who's had a little bit more experience actually playing in, you know, the college game preparation, just kind of the daily grind of being in that college. Maybe it's not, you know, this big giant, you know, gap from them just because he's not that much older, but I just think you feel a bit better just kind of knowing because those guys 
you know, Trent Whittemore's, the Jamarcus Westons, you don't know how they're going to respond in a game like that. You maybe don't have the biggest sample size for Justin Shorter, but it's more than what you've got on those guys, especially in a year like this where there's just a lot of unknowns. Sure. And I, I think it also helps having a veteran quarterback, you know, definitely that was something that kind of was talked about very early in fall camp was that, you know, it was different for everybody having a guy that, that comes back knowing what he's doing is cool, is confident, is, co- is collected in Kyle Trask. And I think the, you know, the message from Dan Mullen early on in camp was that Trask being where he is has been able to elevate the play of everybody around him. And that, I think that helps the transition speed, you know, getting some of these younger players up to speed, you know, getting a guy like Justin Shorter up to speed. Um, but Blake, one other area that's very interesting this week, you know, we talked to John Hevesy. Um, I get my days confused in this whole COVID thing, but I think it was yesterday. Um, and, and Hevesy sounds pretty bullish on the offensive line. He sounds like they're going to, they're going to be pretty good this year. Um, obviously we expect them to kind of take a step forward, but I thought the the most interesting thing listening to John Hevesy was he was talking about the the place they've improved the most is that now that they have experience, they're able to take his coaching and his adjustments and implement those changes quicker. And so it sounded like probably the most frustrating thing for Hevesy last year was that, you know, he as a coach has obviously been through it. You know, he's been through the ringer. He knows, you know, okay, if we're seeing this, look, here's how we got to adjust. The problem was that wasn't translating to his guys very quickly. You know, so if they see an unexpected look in a game and say, here, here's what we got to do to match it it was just sluggish, you know, and he, and he kind of snapped his fingers. He said, now this fall, you know, they're really, they're getting it quicker. Um, I think that's going to be a big help to the Florida offense. Um, but I'm interested to hear your take on, on kind of how, how much you think a difference that can make for Florida this year. You know, I think it's big just because wherever you're looking and if it's the lack of communication that was cut or maybe not lack of communication, maybe the lack of reciprocating that, you know, the communication, what Hevesy's giving them, being able to, you know, make the calls, you know, know things. I think in general, just knowing, knowing that Florida's offense had some pieces that were, you know, kind of getting their feet wet last year compared to, you know, the unit that they had in, in Mullen's first year. I think that that was a night and day type group to me. Um, you bring those guys in now, they have just more experience. I think that those are the kind of things that just make things easier. You're just more confident. You're more sure of yourself. You're able to, you know, kind of, it becomes maybe so, so to say second nature for some of these guys. But I also think too, whenever you throw a guy in like Stuart Reese, who, you know, was recruited by Mullen and Hevesy was, you know, played under them, you know, early in his career. He knows that, I guess, what they want to do and what they're asking for him. And I think that having a guy like that, who not only adds just the familiarity there, but also a guy that just has had a ton of snaps just over the course of his career. I think that a guy like that in in general just makes a big, a big boost overall, kind of continuing that in with, you know, just the, uh, I guess the extra experience that some of these other guys go, you know, Richard Garage, who, you know, maybe didn't get that so much, you know, kind of start out, you know, just with the group they had in 2018. Um, You know, John DeLance, who last year, um, you know, had his, you know, his ups and downs for the season, but he still had those extra snaps, you know, what to improve on, um, you know, how they're going to respond in game time situations. So I think now, not only is Hevesy going to be able to, you know, kind of communicate those things and then understand that, but I think he's going to know a feel for, you know, what his guys are doing, the best way to get through to them. You know, I think that all those kind of things in coaching is something that comes in time. And I think that's what Florida's offensive line needed last year. And I think that that's where they're going to be able to improve upon. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest with you. I, Going back, you know, the whatever, 13 years or 12 years I've been covering UF, I am pretty high on this group's ability to take a really big jump. And and with O-line, I usually am kind of more, I want to see it first. But there's a couple reasons I'm, I'm feeling like this line can maybe make a jump even bigger than we're expecting. One, I think we have a decent idea what Florida has on the defensive line. I think Kyrie Campbell's a guy that was probably slept on a little bit last year. 
Uh, we saw, you know, to Daryl Slayton coming on late in the year. We know what Zach Carter can do. Brenton Cox, we haven't quite seen him, but he made an impact at Georgia. I think this offensive line is going against a pretty good defensive line. Now, we thought that last year, too, and, and obviously even Dan Mullen will tell you they were, they were overly optimistic about the offensive line. But I think when you look at on paper what this line brings back, really it's year three for Dan Mullen, but it's really the first time that they're going to be working with not only an offensive line that has experience and game experience, but also an offensive line that isn't learning the system for the first time. So in 2018, you know, you had a bunch of starters back. You had some guys that had experience in the Tyler Jordans, uh, you know, some of those other guys that uh, I'm blanking. Former five-star Martez Ivy. Martez Ivy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, with Fred Johnson, you had, you had a bunch of guys that was in the NFL right now. So, I mean, they had guys with tons of, uh, they had guys with experience, but what they didn't have was guys with experience in that system. And so I think you saw the reason it took so long for those guys to finally start to gel was they were learning the system, you know? So they had, by the end of the year, they were playing pretty well. That final month of the season, they really were playing well. But I think the reason that line took long, so long to get up to speed was because they didn't really know the system. And so they're still learning that on the fly. Flip that over to 2019 in 2019, you know the system a little bit better, but now you have guys that really haven't played. You know, you basically only had one guy coming back in Nick Buchanan. So you had the learning curve of being able to adjust to things in game, getting used to that rhythm. Now I think the guys coming back and you've got four, basically five guys that have that experience. They know the rhythm of how game week works. They know the rhythm of how when they come to the sidelines and they've seen a look that they weren't expecting Here's what we got to do to make that adjustment. I think that's what John Hevesy's talking about when you're saying you're seeing them pick it up quicker. Now the question is, yes, there's still a question in terms of ceiling. Do they have the talent to be able to bully people around? I can tell you this from covering, you know, lines that John Hevesy has produced over the years. He gets maulers, man, and he gets guys that can move. We love Ethan White's potential. We love Stuart Reese's potential. Brett Heggie's a guy that we think can be a pretty good offensive lineman. You know, maybe they're not quite as good at tackle where we still have questions a little bit about the Lance and maybe Stone Forsythe, you know, despite being pretty consistent, can't hang with that truly elite tier defensive end. Um, but I think you're going to see this unit really start to gel and take a, a big step forward. And I think for Florida's offense, really, I think they're going to need that because you've got new skill guys now that are going to probably need a little bit of time to adjust. Um, but Blake, I got to be honest with you. I'm as optimistic about this offensive line at this point in fall camp as I have been probably about any O-line shoot since maybe 2012 uh, when they had a couple guys returning there and, and really some, some talent. Um, and, and I think that says a lot about what, you know, Florida's potential is to have a really special season. Right. And I, I kind of agree with you. I'm excited to see the, this group because I think that that was the one thing from overall, just missing spring football from missing, you know, what we were, would have been able to see in fall camp. I was really excited to see what this group was going to do with offensive line. That was even before Stuart Reese came into the mix. You throw him in the mix. I think it makes it that much more interesting. So that was one group that I was really bummed that I wasn't able to get a better feel on. You know, that's not even just because I, like you said, we, for the most part, have an idea of who Florida is going to count on, who's going to be their guys that they trot out there. But I think where you look at, you know, Will Herod, uh, you look at, you know, Michael Tarquin, um, you know, plenty of these other guys that Florida's continued to add. Those are the guys that I was really interested to see also because, you know, if Florida's offensive line doesn't get the, you know, if they struggle, if they have some shades of last year to where, you know, things aren't really working out, 
I think last year they didn't maybe have the freedom to kind of rotate guys so much around. Yeah, you know, Chris Bleich was a guy that was be able to rotate in with uh, with uh, Richard Garage. But now I think this year I, I was interested. You know, a guy like Michael Tarquin who has that you know length of being the offensive tackle. Um, I was interested to see you know even Will Harrod who they've been using as an offensive tackle. Those are the guys that I wasn't really quite sure of. You know, coming out as recruits that I really wanted to see how they were going to be able to develop um, just under a year with you know John Hevesy, what they were going to be able to do. You know, adding body weight and you know all these kind of things that you just do in a college program. So I'm excited to see this group. I'm excited to see not only the guys where they gel out there, are they going to make a jump from last year to this year, but I'm also was interested to see, are there some other guys they can count on too? Yeah. I mean, man, the one thing that sticks out to me about this group is they have size, man. Josh Brown checking in at about 350 as a freshman, a uh, guy that can move Ethan white, you know, when he's healthy, he's a guy that can really move. Josh Braun, the former tennis player, that guy can move. They've, they've got How many offensive linemen you see him playing tennis. <laughs> oh, right. It's it, dude. It's a funny visual. Um, but no, I mean, this unit has theoretically on paper, all the pieces It's just a matter of gelling and, and kind of taking that next step. And that may be more difficult this year because you're probably going to have more guys shifting around, you know, to different spots here and there, uh, than you might in a normal season. But like, uh, you know, wrap, wrapping up this episode of the podcast, I think that, you know, the one thing we're all keeping an eye on is the COVID numbers. Uh, again, we, we've been trying to get kind of a, a handle on where these seven cases are, you know, what position groups they are, because that matters, you know, almost as much as the, the number itself. You know, if you have all seven guys are out at, at, you know, a quarterback, then, you know, you're really in trouble. Um, but I, I'll be honest with you, Blake, I have not had a fall camp where sources have been this tight lipped. Um, you know, I don't know if that uh, is somewhat related to Dan Mullen uh, still having something out for Ole Miss uh, and really not wanting them to have any information or what. Uh, or if it's, you know, just kind of protecting his players. But uh, whatever the case, we're going to continue to try to dig on that and give you guys on Swamp247.com uh, whatever information we can in terms of, you know, how, how the handling of this virus is going and, and what position groups are affected, you know, whether or not that's going to affect the outcome or, or the outlook for the, the season opener that we hope will take place on September 26th. But, uh, Blake, unless you have anything to add, I think that's going to do it for us on this episode of the podcast. No, that's it for me. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. It will be game week. We will probably wait to shoot the podcast uh, until Florida puts out their next round of COVID testing re- updates. Um, I, I, Blake, I think we're actually going to start to transition to a, uh, a twice-a-week schedule. So we'll probably do one episode uh, before the game and then either Sunday or Monday, depending on our travel plans, which are still not yet finalized, um, we, we will come back with another episode breaking down the game. And then as we get into you know the actual season, that'll be kind of the format. We'll have Hopefully one. there's some roster talk. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe a depth chart. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but that's the, that's the plan, guys. So until then, uh, we will see you later. Thank you for tuning in today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 